Coming up in today's City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week. When we come as the children of God, as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ into the presence of God and we pray in His name, our Father listens because of the authority that He has invested in Jesus Christ. So we pray so that we will have the strength to keep on going in the midst of whatever is happening until the day the kingdom comes. We continue with our April sermon theme in conversation with God. And we've learned from last week's message that although prayer is a Christian's greatest privilege, for many of us, we can admit that it also is our greatest failure. We all know we need to learn to pray more and to pray better. But why should we pray? Does God even hear us when we pray? How do we pray and what do we pray for? To answer some of these questions, we now join Pastor Harlan Purdy in today's Sermon of the Week titled, Understanding the Why of Prayer. Prayer. It's one of those subjects that when you know the preacher's going to preach on it, everybody gets excited and just jumps up and down and says, I can't wait to get to church. Preacher's going to talk about prayer. that's, That's the most exciting part of life. Usually what happens when the preacher's going to preach about prayer, it's nap time. Because, don't tell anybody, but sometimes in my early morning prayer, it accidentally becomes nap time. That ever happened to you? You, you know, you, you, you ever been in, in the middle of one of those, you know, attention-grabbing prayers, and the next thing you hear is... <laughs> I know, that never happens to you. But I must confess that prayer has always been one of those parts of the spiritual disciplines that is a struggle. It's a struggle. And, and I'm not afraid to admit that. I work hard to overcome the struggle. And I diligently strive to, to beat the, the tendencies that so often attack me in the midst of prayer. Prayer is not easy. Prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines that, that takes effort. It takes time, and, and it's, it doesn't come naturally to us. I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I find that for me to, to be in a room, no matter how large or how small, and talking to someone that I can't see is a little unnerving occasionally. And sometimes I'm looking around to make sure nobody sees me. In case they make a phone call and people with a white jacket show up. You know, those, those jackets that, that have really long arms so that they can kind of be tied behind you and they can take you away to some place you don't want to go. Because you're talking to yourself and mumbling. Sometimes, sometimes prayer feels like I'm all alone. Sometimes prayer feels like nobody's listening. Does that ever happen to you? Do, you? do you ever sometimes give up because it doesn't seem like it makes much difference? Uh, 
Well, we probably are much alike. I'm assuming that I'm not that much different than most of the people that I preach to from week to week. But prayer really is important. Prayer matters. And so I want to take a little bit of time today to talk about the why of prayer. And, and I want to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And with the possible danger of making you feel like a yo-yo, I'm going to ask you to stand again as we read Scripture. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning at verse 1 to verse number 8. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? May the Lord bless his word to us today. Amen. You may be seated. Luke is writing to Theophilus. And in, in, in his letter to Theophilus, he is recounting an event in the life of Jesus where Jesus is talking to his disciples about prayer. And... and Luke introduces this by saying that, that Jesus is telling the disciples this parable because he wants them to not give up, but to keep praying. That they should pray and, and not fall to the temptation to just quit and give up. Now, we don't know if Theophilus is an individual or if it is a title, Theophilus means friends of God. And so biblical scholars have, have debated and discussed over the years whether or not Theophilus was a, a, a real person or if, if Luke is kind of addressing Luke Acts to uh, the, the church at large, to the people whom he refers to as friends of God. Well, I'm kind of of the opinion that Theophilus was an individual. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, maybe self-interested in, in that decision because if Theophilus is a real person uh, and an individual, then I can say that Luke is kind of written to me. 
and I can take it personally. And we need to understand that Luke chapter 18, verse number 1, is within a context of the gospel of Luke that is referred to as the little apocalypse. Uh, Luke writes this, and, and as he begins it, the NIV uses the word then at the beginning of the verse. But if you look at the context of what is found in 18, 1 to 8, it, it I refers back to what Luke has been talking about at the end of chapter 17. And Luke has been talking about the coming of Jesus. And he makes a statement that indicates that the coming of Jesus or the coming of the kingdom of God is is not going to take place during the lifetime of the disciples. He wants them to understand that with regard to the kingdom of God, yes, the kingdom of God is present. It it has come with the coming of Jesus. And so it is present. It is here. But it has not been fully realized. And the consummation of the kingdom of God will not take place until his second coming. And so we live, as the Apostle Paul talks about it, in the already and not yet phase of the kingdom of God. We, we live in that time period where the kingdom of God is present in the world. It is present in us. We are the people of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is growing in the world as people are brought into the fold through salvation and redemption. But the kingdom of God is not fully activated. It is not fully realized because Jesus is not yet king of the earth. He is king of kings and lord of lords, but his kingdom is not fully as established. Uh, from verses 22 onward, that's the focus of what Jesus is saying. If you go back to verse number 20, it says, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, you have a mistaken idea about the kingdom of God. Your expectations are based on wrong thinking. Therefore, you can't see the kingdom of God and you can't recognize that it is already here. It's here in me. And it will be within you if you allow it to be. Jesus goes on to talk to his disciples and he gives them this parable. Why? Well, because he recognizes that with delay can come the temptation to give up. When we have a great hope and the realization of that hope is delayed, the temptation is to quit. The temptation is to give up. How many people have had a wonderful dream They've, they have looked into the future and they have said, this, this is what I would like to accomplish. This is, you know, you, you listen to them as a young person and they, they talk about what they're going to do. The great things they're going to accomplish. And then you talk to them 20 years later and you discover that they quit along the way because it was just, took too long. It didn't happen immediately. 
didn't take place overnight. The struggle to get from the dream to the reality was just too hard. Took too long. There was too much to do. Too many things that had to be put in place. And Jesus understood that with with his disciples that, that they were expecting and anticipating the fullness of the kingdom of God. They were expecting that Jesus would set up his throne in Jerusalem and he would rule and reign from there. That's why they're confused when the cross comes into play. That's why when they see Jesus after the resurrection, one of the first questions they they ask him is, wow, you're alive again. Are you going to set up your kingdom now? Surely after the resurrection, I mean, the cross just kind of devastated everything. It put an end to it all. But you're alive now. Surely today we're going to march into Jerusalem and we're going to put those Roman soldiers back to Rome. In fact, we might just walk all the way to Rome and put Caesar out of business. That was their idea. That was their expectation. Jesus understood that the time when he would come and reestablish the throne of David and rule the nations from Jerusalem was far off in the distance. And he knew that the disciples were going to live their life and they were not going to see the consummation of the kingdom of God. And so he knew that when all of a sudden they had to stand before a Roman magistrate and hear the guilty verdict and know that they were going to face imprisonment, they were going to face crucifixion, they were going to face persecution, they were going to face death, that the temptation was going to be to give up. And so Jesus gives this parable. Now we have Luke. And most of the disciples, when he writes this gospel, have died. Most of them martyred. And he's writing to Theophilus, who is a second generation follower of Jesus. An individual that has never seen Jesus, never sat on the hillside when Jesus taught, has not heard Jesus preach, has not seen Jesus heal the sick, has not seen Jesus perform a miracle. He's only heard the gospel. He's heard the accounts of the life of Jesus through Luke, probably, possibly through the Apostle Paul. And so, Theophilus is a second generation follower of Jesus who hasn't seen any of the great stuff. He's just heard and he has heard that the kingdom of God is coming and he has heard Paul preach about the kingdom of God and Paul believed. Paul expected to see the coming of Christ in his day as probably did Luke. But time is passing. How long has it been since Theophilus believed and started to hope in the consummation of the kingdom of God? We don't know. But it's been long enough that that Luke's got a a little twinge of anxiety in his heart that that unless I, I speak to Theophilus, unless I tell him that time will pass, that that the consummation of this kingdom may not occur even in his lifetime, but don't give up. Don't quit 
because you will be part of the consummation of the kingdom even if it's not until the resurrection the kingdom of god will come and here we are today nearly 2000 years later another group of theophilus i remember i remember as a, a teenager sitting in a pentecostal church every sunday night the message was about the coming of jesus now, I think the reason for that was is so that all the young people would repent of all of the things that they had done, you know, the week before and would think twice about doing the same things in the week that was about to come. I, I'm not quite sure why, but the, in the 70s, all the sermons in Sunday night were about Jesus coming again. And I'll tell you, boy, there were times, there were, I remember what, no. You ever come into the house you know, all the stove is still on. You smell some of the potatoes on the verge of burning. The TV is on. The sound of the vacuum cleaner is whirring, and there's nobody there. I'll tell you, as an 18-year-old that's coming into the house expecting mom to be there and all of that's happening your first thought is this oh no jesus has come and i missed it <laughs> we, we lived on the precipice of expectation in the 70s everybody was telling us that jesus is coming today we're surprised he didn't come yesterday but there's no way he can wait till tomorrow because if he does, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Any of you ever hear that kind of preaching? That's why my hair is so white. <laughs> my hair started turning white when I was 14 because of the preaching on the second coming of Jesus. I'll tell you, guaranteed. Scared me more times than I care to count. But it did keep me from some stuff. Because I was petrified that if I did what I was thinking about doing, that the trumpet would sound and I'd miss it. But I'm now almost... I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm past 20, but I haven't reached 70. I'm somewhere in between. And Jesus still hasn't come. And I have to confess, even as a pastor, there have been times when I've wondered, when will it happen? Or is my theology correct? Thank the Lord, Luke wrote to Theophilus. And he said, we don't know when. It may be a long time. It may not be in your lifetime. But that doesn't matter. He is coming. So don't give up. Because if you give up, you may give up one minute too soon. So now I'm going to put some white hair in your head. 
You see, that's the point. We don't know when Jesus is going to come. It could be today. There are no prophecies that need to be fulfilled before the return of Christ. There's nothing that needs to happen on on the calendar of human events. Jesus could come today. But he may not come for a hundred years. Now, I shouldn't tell you that, but because we, we don't know. But here's what Jesus says to us. Here's what Luke, the gospel writer, says to us through speaking to Theophilus. Don't give up. The kingdom of God is coming. And you will be part of that coming, either through resurrection or as one of those who remain alive when the trumpet sounds. I don't know what it will be for my generation. My generation may be the one that sees the return of the Lord. Those of you who are under 20, it may be your generation that sees the return of the Lord. We don't know the when. But we pray so that we don't quit. One of the greatest values of prayer is that it enables us to keep walking forward in faithfulness with God and allowing the kingdom of God to have its rightful place in our life no matter what the circumstances of life are. Whether it's a hard day or a good day. I like good days. I, I, like, I like the victory days. I, I, I like the days when I wake up and it's, Good morning, Lord! Aye, it's good to be alive! Good stuff happening. I don't like the days when I wake up and it's, Good Lord morning but I have them. I I have the days when it's a struggle. I have the days when everything seems to go wrong. The lines are always queued four kilometers down the road, and I'm just getting there at the end of the fourth kilometer. I, you know, I'm, I'm always going somewhere where the president seems to be traveling through and I'm stuck there for three quarters of an hour. I, life is like that. Life has wonderful days, but it has days of challenge. It has days when there's not enough money seemingly to, to get everything done that needs to be done. There, there are days when when exhaustion has come to visit and it brought suitcases (laughs) but I have discovered that times with Jesus in prayer make it possible for me no matter how hard it is to take that one more step that next step that next step that next step and to not give up to not quit to keep going because I know that the kingdom of God is at work John chapter 16 verses 23 to 24 Jesus commends prayer in his name he says up to this point you you haven't asked anything in my name but from now on While you're 
in that in-between time, that time when the kingdom has come and the kingdom is fully realized. In that in-between time, you have to understand that we live with the authority of Christ. We live in this day because Jesus is king, even though he hasn't fully established his throne in Jerusalem yet, he is still king and he has the authority and he has said to us that we can pray in his name. To pray in his name means to pray according to his authority. Hélène's family is an interesting family. Four, well, three of her brothers and one brother-in-law are Royal Canadian Mounted Police. All, all but one. They've all retired now, haven't they? Hallelujah. As, as of, I think, September of last year, the last one retired. Is there still one working? Well, but he's, is he working for the RCMP or is he working for the province? He's working for the province. He's still doing police work, but he's not w- with the RCMP anymore. You know, now, these guys were big guys. All of her brothers are six foot, 20 inches. You know? <laughs> they're tall. And boy, when they're dressed in their uniform, they look mean. But I'll guarantee you, not one of them, in fact, not the whole four of them put together, could stand against my... Toyota Tundra truck. But you know what they'll do? They'll jump out in the middle of the road and they'll say, Stop in the name of the Queen. We come from Canada, so we still do it in the name of the Queen. And they expect that that stupid truck is going to stop and not run them over. Why? Because they're so strong? No. Because of the authority that stands behind them. All of the authority of the government of Canada is behind them. And Bubba, if you run one of them over, you will find out how heavy that authority can be. When we come into the Father's presence and pray in the name of Jesus, it's the authority of the Son of God creator of the heavens and the earth the authority of the one who said let there be light and there was light that stands behind us God listens when we come as the children of God as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ into the presence of God and we pray in his name our father listens because of the authority that he is invested in Jesus Christ so we pray so that we will have the strength to keep on going in the midst of whatever is happening on Till the day the kingdom comes. We keep praying, thy kingdom come. Because we know one day it will. We pray so that we can align with the will of God. We, we pray as Jesus taught us, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. We pray and in praying we Bring ourselves into alignment with the will of God. 
Sometimes people think that the purpose of prayer is to bring God in alignment with our will. Sometimes people try to use prayer as a means to coerce God to have their opinion or to move in the direction that they think things should go. There's a lot of things I'm not, but one of the things that I have learned in my short lifespan is that I don't know everything. And although sometimes I wish I could, I can't see the future. And that can be very debilitating when you start to think about what should be done and how it should be done. But you see, God has the ability to see every tomorrow. So he knows exactly what ought to be done. He has a plan and a purpose that he is unfolding. And his will is the best. So prayer allows me to come into the presence of God so that God, the Holy Spirit, can begin to work in me. He can work in me through the Word of God. He can work in me through the gifts of the Spirit. He can work in me through His presence to bring my will into alignment with the will of God. And when my will aligns with the will of God, great stuff begins to happen. Life takes on a whole new dimension. You see, in John chapter 15, verse number 7, where it says, Ask whatever we will... That whatever is conditional. We don't always see that. We don't always recognize that. We sometimes think, ask whatever we will. Well, what would I like? Well, you know, I think I would like to live in the palace. I, I, would, I would like a bigger bank account. I, I would like this. Or I, I would like a trip around the world. I would... So I can ask whatever I want? No. The whatever in that passage is linked to the will of God. If we abide in Jesus, and if his words abide in us, we will bear kingdom fruit. God is glorified when our lives are fruitful. So says verse number 8 of John 15. And it's in this state, in this state where we are abiding in Christ and His Word is abiding in us, we can ask what our heart desires and it shall be done. It doesn't say you can ask whatever your heart desires because our heart may desire something that isn't good for us. It's conditioned on the abiding in Christ. It's conditioned on His Word abiding in us. When that's the case, our heart's desires will be modified and molded to become conformed to God's will and God's purposes. And so we will be desiring exactly what God intends to do. How can you go wrong with that? How could that prayer ever not be answered? 
You see, we can have anything if it is God's will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. And you can look that up when you return home. So we pray so that our will will become conformed and exist in alignment with the will of God. Uh, that's a pretty good place to be in. To wake up every morning and know that I am in alignment with God's will is a, is, is a place of security. It's a place of hope. It's a place of life. It's a place of excitement because we are engaged with the creator of the universe in his task of bringing the world to himself. We pray so our needs will be met. According to James chapter 5, verse number 16, prayer is powerful. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. I don't think we really fully understand how powerful prayer is. God hears our prayer. And God answers our prayer. Prayer is powerful because, because it engages the power of God. Now, when we were when we were when we were children, really little children, not very wise. Uh, I, I lived next door to to my cousins, my my mother and her sister. We we lived next door to each other, and and uh, my mother's sister had about six kids. They were all naughty. I don't don't understand why they were so naughty and I was so good. But they 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 had a barn in their yard, and and so we had a little game that we would play. Uh, they, we would go into the barn and we would turn the lights on, and then we would unscrew the light bulb, and then you would. That's why my hair's not curly. And see who could hold your finger there the longest. You ever done that? You ever stick your finger in a light bulb socket? No. Me either. <laughs> Electricity is pretty powerful. It can do. Uh, it can do a number on you. I, I I was I was building my first house, or well, actually I I was making believe I was building. My father was doing most of the building. We had we'd hired an electrician to go down into the basement and to put in some lights because we, we hadn't finished the floor yet. The, the, the floor was still just kind of dirt and rocks and, and, and a lot of water. Uh, and need, we needed to pour cement. So we need, wanted some lights down there. And, and so I told the electrician, you know, take and, and put in all the wiring. And we were going to have electric heat. So, you know, 220 for electric heat. Uh, and I said, what you do is for the, the, the places where the lights should go, don't, don't put 
the cover on it so I'll know which ones are which. He left the covers off of the electric heat connectors. So I thought they were the light bulb connectors. So I'm down there and I turned the light switches all off so there's no power going to these things, right? So I'm hooking up a light. The next thing I know, I touch both ends of the wires. 220. And I'm standing in water. The water turned blue. My, my, my rubber boots melted. Everything went black. And I just, boom. I don't know what happened for the next half hour, but I'm still here. Electricity is powerful. But do you know what? Electricity is nothing compared to the power of God. They say that one bolt of lightning has enough power in it that it could power New York City for a thousand years. Just one lightning bolt. And God creates billions of them every day. The power of God. The power of God. We can't even begin to imagine the power of God. And prayer brings that power to bear upon our life. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says we approach the throne boldly. Now remember, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Remember, we can ask whatever we want as long as it is in alignment with God's will and purposes. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest, that he is interceding for us, that we can pray boldly before the throne of grace. The need that we have can be brought into the presence of God with boldness, surrendered and submitted to his will and his perfect plan. Jesus teaches us that our heavenly father will give us good things in Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 to 12. It's that passage where it says, ask, seek, and knock. But James 4 and 3 reminds us again that asking sometimes results in the answer no because we ask amiss. We ask selfishly and not surrendered to God's plan and purposes. And so we can ask, we can believe that God will meet our needs, but our struggle oftentimes is to recognize what is a need and what is a selfish desire? So our challenge is to sort that out. But that's easy. If we commit it to the Lord, He'll do the sorting. And let, let me tell you from experience, if God says no, you don't want it anyway. If God says it's not good for you, you don't want it. You're better not to have it. So change what you're asking for, realizing it's not a real need because God has said no. And lastly, and this is probably for me one of the greatest things about prayer, when we pray, we hear from God. One of the 
most wonderful things of life is to be in a place where you stop talking and God starts. You see, God will speak to us in prayer. Sometimes, rarely, He will speak audibly. Most of the time, it's not going to be audible. I, I have to say, I have never heard God speak audibly to me. But I've heard God's voice many times. Jeremiah fourteen eleven. Jeremiah, in prayer, heard God speak. Judah and Israel are experiencing drought. They're experiencing hunger. Jeremiah prays and, and, and he prophesies to the children of Israel. God tells Jeremiah not to pray for the welfare of the people. He says to Jeremiah, fasting, weeping, sacrifices, offerings, none of that is going to change my mind. It's not going to move my hand. Don't pray to me about them anymore. God intends harm for Israel, and he says to Jeremiah, don't bother praying. I'm not going to change what I'm doing. I will not be coerced. In Jeremiah 42 and 4, it says, the prophet Jeremiah said to them, very well, I am going to pray to the Lord your God as you request, and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. You see, Jeremiah knows what we should also know. That when we pray, God speaks. Our problem is, is that when, when we're finished talking, we think the conversation is finished, and so we leave. And God is kind of there. Can I encourage you to include in your prayer walk a time to listen? You say, but how do I know it's God? Oh, I think God has a way of helping us to recognize His voice. Some, sometimes it takes time. Um, as, as most of you know, Elena is my second wife. Uh, both of us experienced the loss of our spouses in 2008, and the Lord brought us together. But I was married the first time for 38 years. I tell you, I could be in the busiest shopping mall but when my wife spoke my name, I knew her voice. I could recognize her voice in the, in the largest crowd you could possibly imagine. I could find her just by hearing her voice. I could, I, I, I could walk to wherever she was. If I could hear her voice, I could find her because I knew her voice. Now, Ellen and I, We've been married for five years. I must confess that during the first few months, if we were in a big crowd and she was talking, I wouldn't have recognized her voice from yours. But now, nearly six years later, you let there be a, a, a hubbub of conversation and you let Elen speak, I know her voice. And I can pick her voice out of the largest crowd. Can you pick my voice out yet, dear? <laughs> <laughs> you heard what she said? She, she said, the reason I fell in love with you was because of your voice. Uh, 
That's, that's one of the things that she said to me first, first after we met. She said, the thing that attracted me to you was your voice. I would have, I would have thought it would have been my height. You know? Folks, God wants to speak to us. He wants to talk to you. He wants to pour his dream into your heart. He wants to, he wants to pour his life into you. He, he wants to tell you how much he loves you. He wants you to know his heart. And he will talk to you if you give him the time. The greatest thing of prayer is not that, that God will answer me and do what I ask. The greatest thing of prayer is that God will reveal himself to me in my times with him. Prayer is an amazing privilege. It enables us to partner in the task of bringing the kingdom of God to bear upon earthly circumstances. Prayer will enable us to keep going on when doing so is difficult and when we feel like giving up. Prayer enables us to discover and to partner with God's will on earth. Prayer moves the hand of God to provide our needs. In fact, it helps us to recognize our needs over our wants. But prayer puts us in a place where we can actually hear God. Father, thank you for this amazing gift of prayer. That you have made it possible for a human being, no matter our age, no matter our language, no matter our culture, no matter our nationality, no matter our social status, our fiscal status, no matter anything that men might consider important or valuable, we have been given the privilege because of our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, to come into your presence and to open up our mouth and talk to you. But you have also said that you would talk to us. That in the midst of our times in your presence, if we would listen, you would speak. I pray, Father, that in the coming days, everyone that is here in this place would experience the wonder and the joy of hearing your voice. Help us, Lord, to understand the great value of prayer and to begin to pray with purpose, to pray so that our hearts can be molded and fashioned and shaped, so that our will can be transformed to your will, so that we could see your hand active in our lives so that others would see you at work in us and would give glory to your name so that you can change us from glory to glory so that our lives would be a vehicle to bring glory to you. So Lord, will you speak to us?
Help us to learn to hear your voice and to recognize it when you're speaking. Pray for each one of us and ask, Lord, that you would tune our ear to your voice. For you are speaking in 2016. And you are saying some important things to your people. Help us to hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the City Pentecostal Church Sermon of the Week with Pastor Harlan Purdy. We hope that our April sermons are helping you to pray boldly and above all, to pray with sincerity, honor, and humbleness before our Father in Heaven, in Jesus' name. If you have questions about your faith and walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, please get in touch with us. Just visit our website, citypentecostal.church. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you. Bye-bye. in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart I want to see you I want to see you Open the eyes, open the eyes Open the eyes of my heart, Lord Open the eyes of my heart I want to see you I want to see you Open the eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. See you.
holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. 